Hi, this is Sobia. I am a part-time mom doing a full-time PhD in chemical and biological engineering. Let me tell you what that job looks like. So about two years ago, when my son turned one, we went to his pediatrician for his regular exam, which included blood tests for lead poisoning or high blood lead levels. Now, because I like to do applied research, I did my research and chose to make food at home from fresh vegetables and fruits, no processed foods, no sugar, no salt. Every single thing that was recommended, I had made mandatory in my home. So you can imagine my reaction when the doctor told me a few days later to let me know that my son actually had high lead levels in his blood. I felt confused and even guilty to a certain extent. And after the doctor calmed me down, she and I went through a list of items in the household that could be sources of lead. Did I have any imported glazed ceramics, china or toys in my home, any imported cans of food? I didn't have anything, she mentioned at my home. Until she said, and this is weird, but she asked me if I had plastic PVC blinds on my windows. I did, and surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, those blinds were my son's favorite spot in the house. Mystery solved. Turns out, lead actually deposits on PVC blinds, and even though lead has been banned for about 40 years now, there can still be deposits of lead in old homes with old window blinds. And, like any normal kid, my son loved licking stuff. For him, that stuff was those blinds. When something like that happens, it makes you wonder what else deposits on surfaces in our homes and what can it look like? For us, it was the invisible lead particles in air, depositing on blinds over the timescale of decades. There is another chemical that likes to deposit on surfaces in our homes, even smaller than lead particles. These are gases called VOCs, volatile organic compounds. Sometimes when these gases like to take a break, they settle down on surfaces, and this surface could be PVC blinds. But where do these VOC gases come from? In the home, these VOCs mostly come from glues. They off-gas while the glue is being used and even after. But I think most of us are safe because glues are thankfully something we don't use very often. But wait, we have glues in our flooring, our furniture, insulation, and almost everything around us, including crafts and repairs in our DIY projects. And every time something is glued in the home, there is a build of, the, of these gases, leading to a persistently higher amount of these gases indoors than outdoors. But I still think we are safe because there are regulations in place to limit the amount of VOCs in these glues. And we regulate these amounts because we know at what level these VOCs are toxic for humans and can cause serious health issues like organ damage or even cancer. But have we taken into account the VOCs that settle and accumulate on surfaces? A recent study showed that the kids who are around surfaces with VOC deposits, they have altered skin microbiome. That's a layer of healthy bacteria on the human body. 
and we don't even understand yet what the implications of such altered microbiomes could be. We have known for decades that synthetic glues contain volatile organic compounds, and we know they are harmful for human and environmental health. Then why don't we completely ban these glues and use glues that do not emit VOCs? That is exactly where the heart of the problem lies. Despite the demand for zero VOC emission glues, we just don't have many strong non-VOC glues available. To meet this demand, there is active research happening to find more VOC-free glue options. One of these is to look at biological or natural materials, which come from renewable sources and do not contain VOCs. These glues are called green glues or green adhesives. And these green or natural options could be pine sap from pine trees, protein from soybean plants, or barnacles and mussels which attach to ship holes, or sea cucumber which produces this sticky spaghetti to trap animals, or bacteria that can make slime cities attached to rocks in lakes and trap nutrients. If we can replicate these processes in the lab and ensure that these materials can be mass-produced, we can end up with a promising range of sticky materials that work as glues. In our lab, the material we picked from nature's inventory were the slime cities. In natural habitats, bacteria love a community lifestyle. They land on surfaces, attach, and build slime houses some slime malls, slime factories, even some slime skyscrapers. That means a very textured community structure. We call these slime cities biofilms. One of these slime communities are natural factories that produce chalk, and this unlikely combination can work as glue. Now, it is strange to imagine a glue with chalk particles in it, but we are working in a world yet unknown to us. Biological materials do not follow the same patterns as synthetic processes. And because nature is doing such a great job of using these materials as glues for multiple purposes, we decide to follow the blueprint. So in our lab, we hijack these bacterial factories, which make slime and chalk particles made up of mineral calcium carbonate. We name these bacterial factories biominerals. The chalk coming out of these factories is very interestingly fluorescent. So looking through a microscope, we can use these fluorescent lamps to look at these cities. If we shine UV light on these communities, the chalk lamps light up and we can see bacterial downtown with neon signs. And that is how we navigate this specific slime world. We can look at it but we also wonder what this bacterial biomineral structure feels like because we have two components, slime and chalk. We wonder how hard the final product is after drying. In real life, we could touch these materials to discover what the material really is like. In the lab, we knock and tap on these bacterial factories and their products with a micron-sized tip and feel how hard and tough it is. And this connects us to the bigger goal of using this material as a clue. The goals we set for ourselves when making these glue are 
it needs to be strong. It needs to have the exact same quality every time we make it, which is our quality control aspect. And it shouldn't fall apart in water. To reach these goals, we need to find out how much slime making raw material to provide this factory? How much chalk making raw materials to provide? What combination of slime and chalk ratio makes the strongest glue? And we need the knocking information we collected about how hard the material is. If the material is not tough, it might not be able to hold itself as a glue. We also need to make sure we have the same combination of slime and chalk every time for the quality control purposes. So we make all combinations of slime and chalk and test them as a glue over and over again. How do you consistently test a glue? We apply it between two surfaces of the same size every time to keep things constant. We clamp this material in an instrument that can pull these surfaces apart under controlled conditions. And then we record how much force was needed to break that joint. The more force that is needed to break the joint, the stronger the glue is. We have found that the glue works better. This glue works better than high performance biological glues available in the market and the results are reproducible. So this part takes care of my first two goals, high strength, quality control. Now the third one was we do not know, we, we don't have the, we, we don't want the glue to dissolve in water and disappear like salt, which we call water sensitivity. To test our water sensitivity, we dip the glued materials in water and see if it just falls apart. So far, this slime chalk glue has survived being dipped in water for about 24 hours, so it passes the water sensitivity check. Now that, now that the glue has passed, all the basic tests we set for it for the glue, we look at the broad picture. Is this the is this glue the ultimate replacement for all the glues? No, probably not. It's still not as strong as most of the VOC glues we are trying to replace, but we still have a long way to go to making this the best version of the bio-based glue it could be. We have ultimately done is we have added one more option to the list of non-VOC clues. Every year, scientists are adding to this library of non-VOC clues, and the market for these green clues is gradually growing. There has been a significant rise in R&D spending in companies to develop bio-based alternatives. Soybean and vegetable oil-based glue hybrids are dominating the bio-based adhesives and sealants market. Despite all challenges with higher production costs, there is an increasing promise in the green adhesives market, and we can quantify that by looking at the projected growth of the bio-based adhesives market to a value of $2.5 billion by 2023, which is three times its value just a decade ago. The bigger vision we scientists have is not only to have a mass awareness of the VOC problems, but also a mass availability of the solution. And just like I have the option to make safe choices for my family and the environment in every other aspect of my life, I want to have a choice and a range of non-VOC glues in the market to pick from. That is what I'm working towards in my research. Thank you.